Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 77th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is the ethical perils of social media for lawyers and judges. We are very pleased to welcome our friend, Judge Herbert B. Dixon, Jr., Judge Dixon sits on the Superior Court of the District of Columbia and is a former chair of the National Conference of State Trial Judges. He is the technology columnist for the Judges Journal magazine and a former member of the ABA Tech Show Planning Board. Judge Dixon is Senior Judicial Advisor to William & Mary Law School's Courtroom 21 Project, the presiding judge for the Superior Court's Technology Enhanced Courtroom Project, and a frequent speaker on topics related to the intersection of law and technology. Thanks for having me, Jim and Sharon. I'm really pleased to be here. Because of the depth of the knowledge displayed by both of you, I'm honored that you would even ask to hear what I had to say. Thank you. (laughs) We always enjoy hearing what you have to say, Judge Dixon. And let's start by asking you, when you present, as you often do, about the intersection of social media with lawyers and judges, what platforms do you include and which do you not include? Well, about the only platforms I can think of that I do not include are the old-fashioned platforms, that is, having a conversation with someone one-on-one or speaking to a live group. With respect to various social media platforms, if we just think of it as, you know, communities exchanging thoughts and ideas uh, digitally, we get to include a lot of stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Foursquare, YouTube, blogging. There's even a new one called Jelly, and whatever the future holds for future types of social media. Those are the primary ones. I didn't mention Google+, Plus. I don't think I mentioned LinkedIn. Twitter, I didn't mention, but all of those are included. Judge Dixon, what are some of the reoccurring perils by lawyers using social media? Some of the reoccurring themes that we see over and over on a daily basis. Lawyers, for instance, either through their websites or through their blogs, are responding to individual legal questions that uh, persons might have. That gets into, number one, possible unauthorized practice of law across state lines. Not paying attention to privacy settings is another problem that lawyers run into because all of a sudden posts that were intended for a certain group of people now gets expanded to a universe beyond uh, what the lawyer ever thought might occur. Additionally, lawyers thinking that what they are writing is going out into cyberspace never to be seen again except for the brief instance that someone first looks at it. They in politics and their, their writings, or make other posts that might go viral. Those are some of the additional problems that lawyers run into. Another one concerns lawyers in their representation of clients. Trying to learn a little more about an opposing client, either might themselves or might have someone else on their behalf do things such as making a friend request, not revealing who you are, trying to learn a little more about the person that might help your lawsuit. 
in most instances, bars across the country have uniformly condemned that type of practice. Those are just a short list of some of the reoccurring themes, but more and more will occur as time goes on. Is there any one issue that involves judges or lawyers that you find particularly interesting, and if so, why? The one that interests me, possibly more than others, concerns friend requests between judges and lawyers. And the reason that interests me is because state bars across the country have come out with different results. Now, the majority of states will allow lawyers and judges to friend each other, but two in particular, Florida and Oklahoma, have absolutely banned contact between lawyers and judges where the lawyer is on the judge's docket. Florida says judges cannot be Facebook friends with lawyers or discuss pending cases, and Oklahoma has a ruling that's pretty much the same. Now, other states have taken a more liberal view. Some of those states include New York, Kentucky, Ohio. In those instances, judges and lawyers are permitted to be friends on social networking sites, but the caution is always there that the judge's participation must be done carefully in order to comply with the ethical rules in the Code of Conduct. I think one of these days we may end up with uniform rules across the country, but right now it's extremely interesting because of the stark differences between Florida and Oklahoma and the other states have, that have addressed this issue. Judge Dixon, many people think of judges leading rather insular lives. Do judges actually use social media that often? Jim, that's, that's pretty interesting. I've heard before some judges complain that the world seems to think of them as living in a hermetically sealed environment, not having touch with the outside world. But judges do participate in social media. Judges do have outside lives. One very interesting part about the uh, judges on social media concerns a report that was done by the uh, Conference of Court Public Information Offices. The last report or survey that I saw dates from 2012. It's probably been updated, but I suspect the information is pretty much the same. And that is a little over 40%, 46% of judges use social media. Eighty-some percent of those, that is, of that 46 percent, they use Facebook. Thirty-some percent use LinkedIn. What the survey revealed more often is that elected judges are more likely to use social media than appointed judges, and there's no misunderstanding why that occurs. Uh, But also what I have found is that among appointed judges and including the elected judges, the ones that tend to use Facebook more among those two groups are judges with young children because they're trying to check on what their children are, are, are involved with. Now, with respect to judges leading into the lives, I have a Twitter account, <laughs> and I don't have as many followers as you folks do. I think about half of my followers are newspaper reporters waiting on me to say something wrong. <laughs> but I speak about law, ethics, technology, cloud computing, e-discovery, and a few other issues. And it's interesting the way the followers become added to my particular Twitter account. So, no, judges don't always live in lives. They do use social media. And I'm an example of one of those judges that is involved with social media. 
So do you think that judges are any better at avoiding social media lapses than the lawyers who seem to violate all kinds of things all the time? Now, how can I say this tactfully? Are judges <laughs> any better at avoiding the ethical lapses? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> judges are former lawyers, and they do some of the same things that lawyers have done. For instance, and this involves judges on the bench. The case that got me most interested in this topic was one that occurred in Georgia, because I could not believe what had occurred. The uh, judge had become and made Facebook friends with a litigant on his calendar. The judge was an older gentleman. The litigant was a younger lady. Sensing she had an advantage there, the two got together. They met for lunch. She borrowed money from the judge. The judge visited her, her apartment. The judge released her on personal recognizance in her own case. And she even went to the judge to ask, can you help my friend? Turns out to be her boyfriend. And to make a long story short, the way this was discovered was the family of the boyfriend who had been locked up discovered all of this text communications between the judge and the young lady. They thought perhaps it was because of this relationship that their relative. The boyfriend was locked up, and they took it to the sheriff. Obviously, when the sheriff investigated, the uh, judge decided to uh, step down, saying that he was tired of living in a fishbowl, and he wanted to, to move on. There are other situations. For instance, a, a North Carolina judge in a custody and support hearing ended up friending the attorney for one of the parties. The judge ended up investigating the Facebook account used Google to do some of his own research about one of the parties. And after the judge made his ruling in that case, the other attorney wised up and figured out what was going on. The decision that was issued by the judge was subsequently set aside and the losing party had a new trial. As a friend of mine once said, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about the old-fashioned telephone or, or, or the Internet. Judges will find a way, some judges will find a way to get in trouble. <laughs> Those are some very interesting examples uh, of bad conduct, Judge Dixon. Let's pause for a commercial break and then we'll be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the ethical perils of social media for lawyers and judges. And our guest is D.C. Superior Court Judge Herbert B. Dixon, Jr., who often speaks on this issue. Judge Dixon, we were discussing ethical lapses on social media by judges. Is there any ethical lapse by a judge that has particularly surprised you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me put this in perspective for you. This is not a new topic. This topic has been addressed for at least the last 10 years and maybe a little longer than that. And one of the things that occurs the most concerns judges becoming 
Facebook friends are making connections with lawyers on their calendar. The one that really surprised me was a recent one where a judge decided to make a Facebook friend request to one of the litigants. Now, before you become chauvinistic or sexist in your thinking, that obviously this was a male judge who was contacting a young female litigant. No, this one was a female judge who was contacting a female litigant uh, in the case. In any event, the litigant became really concerned and reported it to her lawyer that the judge was then removed from the case. Now, but there's a recent one that I have to mention. For some reason, judges, ordinary people, lawyers think that when they make these comments, they go off into cyberspace, as I said a few moments ago, never to be seen again. And so the approach that some have taken is to try to do it anonymously. A very recent report concerns a judge whose name was in the news because the judge was seeking a higher office. It turns out that in connecting the dots, uh, folks were able to figure out that it was this judge who on a college sports board was posting comments anonymously, comments that were racist and sexist. The message behind this is that even if you think you're being smart by trying to do something anonymously, your identity can be discovered. In this case, the judge had inadvertently revealed enough personal details about himself, that is, where he went to college, how long ago he was in college, and a few things of that nature, where folks were able to connect the dots and figure out who the judge happened to be. The most recent news item that I've read on that is that the uh, judge has apparently withdrawn his name for that higher post that he was seeking. <laughs> well, you did very well at not saying, what a dummy, but... <laughs> <laughs> but this was really some of the most egregious stuff I have ever seen, and what he chose to post was remarkable. So uh, if you're curious to see some of it, and much of it is kind of R-rated stuff, uh, and some goes beyond that. So, you know, it would be interesting to read that story online, but we can't discuss it in too much detail here because of the character of the story. So let's go to something a little more calm. Are there any, I think you used the word nuanced when we talk, Judge Dixon, nuanced social perils where a judge must be very careful? Oh, absolutely. When judges are presiding over cases, they really want to do the best job that they can in coming up with the correct decision for the case and the parties uh, who happen to be before the court. And sometimes that desire to do a good job leads to doing things that are prohibited by the Code of Judicial Conduct. For instance, actually investigating parties online, using Google, going to their social media account, uh, looking up witnesses, doing internet research about the parties in the case. As a matter of fact, I will mention to you a particular case that interests me, and the reason it interests me is because there was no in ethical investigation about it. It involved the United States Supreme Court, and the reason uh, that there was no investigation about it is because the code of judicial conduct does not apply to the judges of the Supreme Court. I won't call the name of the case, but three years ago, a hearing started out with one of the justices saying, I checked your website this morning, and what it says is, and needless to say, the issue that the judge 
brought up ended up being a major part of the uh, court's decision. If a trial judge had done that or an appellate judge had done that, the judge really would have been castigated. Judges have to be very careful about doing those in types of investigations, uh, having comments and discussions with parties, witnesses, during Internet research. And as you can see, this response goes beyond just plain social media. It, it also involves the Internet. Judge, are there any typical social media perils that affect both judges and lawyers? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, they're the same type of perils that affect mankind and womankind. For instance, writing while inebriated, (laughs) writing while you're angry, sleepy, or tired. For lawyers and judges, writing about their cases or their colleagues or litigants. Judges and lawyers writing about each other on social media are bound to get into trouble. Making comments that should not be made, they have to stay away from it. Well, that's pretty funny. I have to tell you, I I lecture on this a lot, as you know, Judge Dixon, and and one night after a couple glasses of wine, and I was tired too, I saw a story that excited me, and I decided I need to put it on Twitter. So by not following my own advice, I got so excited that halfway through typing, I hit the enter button and, of course, published a half-formulated tweet. (laughs) Now, there, there was nothing horrible there, but I went, gosh darn it, Sharon, don't you lecture about this stuff? Don't you listen to yourself? Because even if you do something like that, it is at the very least an embarrassment. So I always tell audiences, you know, if you're going to drink, do not do social media. There's just always things that you say that you you wish you wouldn't after the fact, of course. And taking it back is not so easy because once someone else has captured it, it lives forever. And if it's good, they're going to capture it. You're right, Sharon, because (laughs) I'm just like everyone else. When I make that kind of mistake, and I've made them, I (laughs) try to delete it. (laughs) But I have no idea who has captured it before I deleted it. Isn't that the truth? And, of course, if your friend Sharon sees something good from you, you know it's going to be captured. (laughs) 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 Are there any other social media perils that you'd like to point out to us that might affect judges and lawyers? There is one that's been of interest to me, and it concerns the situation that judges and lawyers run into when they're involved in jury trials. In those instances, you have jurors who are trying their best to make the right decision and to do a good job. And what happens is, although judges have told the jurors that they may not investigate the case on their own, for some of them, this doesn't translate into you can't look up anything on the Internet, you can't look up definitions, uh, etc. And there are a number of cases where jurors have gone that far. As a matter of fact, the one case that comes to mind that brought the point home to the bench in the bar was the case in Florida. After several weeks of trial uh, and after the jury had started deliberation, the judge found out that at least one juror was doing some Internet research. And as the judge investigated the matter, uh, it turns out it wasn't just that one juror. It was several jurors. And that's where the term mistrial by Google occurred. As a result of this phenomenon, judges are now taking a very active approach with jurors. They're starting off with discussions during voir dire, and the instructions will continue throughout the trial, reminding jurors that they can't search the Internet, they can't search websites or blogs, they may not text about a case, they may not tweet about the case, they may not make posts on Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn, YouTube, or any other social media site. 
those judges who have that very active approach that is starting as early as voir dire, uh, having those discussions with jurors and then reminding them repeatedly to not look up things on the Internet, don't talk about the case, don't text about the case, etc. Those judges seem to be having fewer problems with juror misconduct than those judges who simply rely on the time of warrant instruction that the jurors may not do anything to investigate the case because it just doesn't translate for a lot of today's population. They automatically go to Google, Wikipedia. They automatically look up locations on Google Maps and other programs and devices. And the judge has to be very active in terms of letting the jurors know what's not permitted. Judge Dixon, do you have a shorthand way of reminding judges and lawyers about what not to do on social media? I call it short. Yes, I do. And there are four questions that we need to ask ourselves before we go through with that post or that announcement or that comment on a blog. And the first one is, would I be embarrassed to make this posting while others are watching me? That includes those folks who might do something anonymously. Ask yourself that question. If others were seeing what I was doing right now, if they were seeing this, would I do it anyway? A second question, which is one of my favorites that they should ask themselves, is what would my mother say if she saw this? The third thing is how would this look on the front page of, and at this point, choose your newspaper, USA Today, the Washington Post, San Francisco Chronicle, the New York Times, the New York Post. How would this look on the front page of that newspaper? And the last question, which really is the important question that is the reason for the first three questions, does this violate the code of professional responsibility or the code of judicial conduct? I think that among judges and lawyers, if they were to ask themselves those four questions, they would avoid a lot of trouble. Well, they sure would, and often they don't, and that's why we get to enjoy these splendid stories uh, in Above the Law and other places as well. So we want to thank you so much for being with us today, Judge Dixon. It, it surprises us all the time to think that we've only had this issue arise in the last 10 years, and yet we have stuffed files of these stories or have them collected in big folders on our computers. So it was really helpful to get your insights on this issue. Both lawyers and judges certainly need to consider some of what we've discussed today. And thank you very much for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to be our guest. Sharon and Jim, I really enjoyed this. Having the opportunity for this discussion on the digital edge was like a geek being in paradise. It was a phenomenally enjoyable time. Well, that's wonderful. And we'll see you again later this month at ABA's Tech Show and hope some of our listeners will join us there as well. And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. 
Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.